from the Center for European Reform. This is the CER podcast. It is a critical moment. If we do not act with urgency, we would then severely undermine the liberal order. Brexit means Brexit, and we're going to make a success of it. The wind is back in Europe's sights. We have now a window of opportunity, but it will not stay open forever. Welcome to this special series of the Centre for European Reform podcast from our annual Ditchley Conference. My name is Sam Lowe. I'm a senior research fellow at the CER. And as we do every year, we have invited some of the world's top economists to gather in this wonderful stately home in the Oxfordshire countryside to discuss some of the biggest issues facing European policymakers. And actually, for them all to get here today was quite, was, was quite painful. We've had, they've had to battle through floods, and I'm currently holding our, my two guests uh, away from their food. And uh, so in this episode, uh, we'll be discussing Europe's demographic time bomb. Um, we're discussing that with Hervé Boulhol. Pronounce that correctly? Bouillol, but that's fine. He's a senior <laughs> economist and the Directorate for Employment, Labour and Social Affairs at the OECD. And Gemma Tetlow, who's the Chief Economist at the Institute for Government. Hi, both of you. Hello. Hello. Thank, thank you for coming down here and, uh, and putting off having a drink. I know it's been a long afternoon. So, so let's, get, let's get right into this. So we often hear that the demographic profiles of many European countries are worrying, that the EU is ageing. How much of a problem really is this? And, and is it the same across Europe or, or is it different for different regions? So first, we should never forget one key driver of, uh, uh, of this uh, ageing, which is health improvements, uh, which generate large welfare gains for individuals. So the big picture is, is this one first. Of course, yes, these longer lives and low fertility rates uh, lead to big shifts in the demographic uh, structures of European countries. And uh, indeed, the direct, demo the direct de demographic impact only uh, is large on average and very large in some countries, especially Central Eastern European countries and Southern European countries. So the, that's, that's purely demographic effects. Actually, half of that effect uh, is estimated to be offset uh, by various factors, the continuing trends of uh, uh, increasing female employment, uh, the impact of uh, still health improvements and development in education across the past decades, which improve employability of workers, and also, of course, the impact of past pension reforms. And on top of that, there could be new measures that will offset those, those uh, impacts. So, uh, on average, yes, there is a negative impact, but not dramatic, although it, it will be high in, in some countries. And maybe to finish, so yes, there is, uh, there is the, this time clicking, the, the clock is clicking, uh, but uh, it's a bit exaggerated to, to talk about a time bomb, because to be a time bomb, you need uh, an explosion, and that explosion can come, but it would be probably the result of um, bad policies, which uh, would lead to macroeconomic imbalances or social unrest. Uh, so I think this is a serious uh, risk, and this is the main risk for me, but it, it is the impact plus on top of that uh, action that has not been taken. So Gemma, 
What does this sort of mean for economic growth? And particularly something I'm interested in, and I know it's something you've looked at in the past, is what, what are the impact on government finances? You know, if an ageing population increased uh, number of pensioners, if we're being crude about it. So I guess if we, if we start with the simple demographics, and as Zeve said, some of that is offset, but we start with the simple demographic picture, then there is a challenge from an ageing population for the economy and the public finances in the sense that older people are less likely to work, therefore less likely to be contributing to economic performance. And also, as you just alluded to, the older population are much more likely to need healthcare, social care, things which are quite expensive for the public finances, particularly in many European countries where those things are funded largely out of general taxation rather than being privately financed as they are in the US. Um, But exactly what the ageing population means for the public finance and the economy does depend, exactly as they said, on how much do older people work and how generous are our pension schemes. And I think there 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 is room for optimism in the sense that we have seen quite a big increase in working labour force participation of older people particularly in some European countries. Um, So if we look at many of the northern European countries, the UK, Germany, Scandinavian countries, they've seen quite a big pickup in employment rates of older men since the mid-1990s. And that, I think, kind of shows you the power of what public policy can do, because actually that was largely the response to quite active policy decisions to make it harder for people to claim early retirement benefits. Other countries, particularly France and some of the southern European countries, still have much lower rates of employment amongst older people, so there is um, potentially more scope for them to do something. You mentioned in the this, in this discussion we were having earlier this, this study you'd worked on for, I, I think it was for the NBER, with the NBER, and I just found it interesting. I wondered if you could just talk talk us through that a little bit. Absolutely. Um, so the, the uh, study that I was talking about um, tried to carry out the thought experiment of Given that, as Ave says, we've seen a big increase in health amongst the older population in general, um, what what would the employment patterns of older people look like if actually people of a given level of health were working as much as men with that same level of health did in the 1970s? So it's kind of reversing the... Um, paradox that we have that actually people were much less healthy in the 1970s but worked a lot more than they do now and trying to carry out that sort of experiment um, suggested that there's actually you could have in the UK for example we estimated that if men between the ages of 55 and 69 worked as much as men of the same health did in the 1970s they'd actually be working for nearly eight and a half years longer over that 15 year period than older men are at the moment and there was a bit of variation in that I think Sweden was the country with the, the the lowest number, but even there, there were still three extra years of work that would be possible. Herve, you, you're, 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 I'm feeling more optimistic after our discussion on demographics, I think, than before. I think some of the points are very well made around the fact that actually a lot of this depends on how, how, how people come into, uh, how, how much older people work and, and the like. Um, I suppose my, my, my question here is, it, what's government's role in all of this, in, in, in sort of adjusting to this new normal when it comes to demographics what sort of policies could be involved is, is just the answer more immigration uh, well first i don't want you to be too optimistic okay i, I want Good. just i want just to avoid being too dramatic but the impact are serious so we're moving towards an equilibrium which is uh, in some ways less good than it was and yes there will be financial pressure uh, but it can be manageable with 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 some uh, 
basically giving up some of various things. And in particular, we know that, uh, say, pension replacement rate, for example, will be part of declining pension replacement rate is part of the equation, part of the solution. Uh, but so the, 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 the policies that are uh, is first to make sure people contribute enough and contribute enough means either higher uh, contribution rates, if that's the political choice, or working longer to be able to finance uh, uh, pensions adequate, as we say, level of pensions in a financial sustainable way. And again, this is very important to, to maintain financial sustainability to avoid creating balances. So among the policies that are um, um, very interesting are these automatic adjustment mechanisms. And uh, we have measured now that they apply to basically half of pension schemes in OECD countries. They are very important because they kind of lighten the political cost of repeated measures to adjust to the moving demographic area. Uh, but unfortunately, this is not a magic bullet. And, and we see actually countries backtracking from this. So of course, from a democratic point of view, it's, you can always backtrack, uh, that's a choice. But if you backtrack, you need to find alternative solution to maintain the right balance in the long term. And we are a bit careful about that because yeah, that's a political economy of reforms. Um, it's, it's not, I mean, all these, among the reforms, these mechanisms that have been decided, some countries are suspending or moving backward. And this is a risk, serious risks. Uh, now, uh, two things is, so longer working life is a key point. Uh, increasing retirement age is one aspect, but it's not sufficient. So uh, complementary policies are needed to return higher uh, legal retirement age into higher effective retirement ages. And here it is a broad policy of labor market policies, active labor market policies, wage setting, lifelong learning, and so forth. And on immigration, because you asked a question to, to, to finish, uh, yes, immigration can help smooth the effects, uh, but uh, it really cannot stop it, especially in Europe, because it, we, it would require massive immigration flows. And we know that it's like it, will, it would probably be very likely to uh, integrate in practice. So we have in mind the model of the US and Canada, the big difference between US and Canada is, is of course, the physical space. Uh, actually, when you look at the projection of the European Union by 2060, yes, there is this uh, holding population, uh, declining working age, but total population is basically flat, 500 million people still. So we don't have, in some ways, the, the total density creates some limit on, on physical, on the number of migrants. Uh, you can uh, welcome or integrate. Um, and also, of course, the big thing is that it's a temporary solution in any case because those migrants, in the end, age themselves. Yeah. They live longer, they tend to have Everybody lower dies. fertility rates. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So yes, in short, uh, it, it's, uh, it can help smooth uh, the impact in the medium term, but cannot be a solution in the long term, I think. Gemma, one of the things that, that came up in our session was this idea of rethinking the, the life cycle of work. So if you think about how it goes now, you, you're born, you go to school, you study, 
you get a job, you work to do 70 and then you retire for 20 years and it's great. And there's, there's this idea coming, that's, that's not how the real world operates anymore. I was wondering if, if you had yes, any thoughts Yes, exactly. There. We had a bit of a discussion of this. I, I think, to be honest, certainly in many European countries, that's probably already not the case. Um, but the idea that people will retrain at different points in their lifetime, both because technologies will move on and they will need to retrain, but also because with longer working lives, people may well feel that they just want to do something a bit different at some point in their lives. And I can certainly sympathise with that. Um, we had an interesting discussion about some of the policies that different countries are using um, to try and incentivize this. Um, there was mention of the, the French system of having personal accounts where you can build up credits um, and then take some time out to retrain. That was a quite a, a positive sort of carrot approach. Um, someone else mentioned the, the case in Singapore where they are now uh, just saying that your your degree is only valid for 10 years and then you have Scary to go back thoughts, and right? <laughs> I say that really sent a shiver down my spine <laughs> um, it's more of a, a stick approach but um, both are possible so 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 to, so to finish I'm going to ask I'm going to ask both of you this so so one of the scarier things that was brought out of the discussion is what happens when our generation I think Gemma and I we're both millennials yep. right so so what happens when we when we get to retirement age and we realise that our pension pots are worth nothing. They've, they're not going to sustain the livelihoods we want. What's the political response to that? That is a very good question. I mean, I think it's a huge question in the UK because we have, without really having a public um, debate about it, transferred a huge um, burden of managing um, investment risk onto individuals with the decline of defined benefit schemes and the rise of defined contribution schemes. I think the trouble will be that by the time this becomes apparent, actually the generation who perhaps benefited from the way policy is developed will either be incredibly old by that stage or dead, um, and actually there will be no one else there to pick up the tab and we will just have to um, adjust to the new situation. Well, here it's, it's a bit complicated in the sense that there is huge heterogeneity across countries. Right. And uh, so it's really difficult to generalize. Our study, we compared, for example, the generation's courts born in 1940, 1960, 56 exactly, and 1996, we, we used that in those entering the labor market now. Yeah. Right. And so when we compare this, say 1950 compared to now, 50 years apart, overall in the OECD, there is an average decline in pension replacement rate of about 10%, roughly 10%. But you have two thirds of countries where there is a decline, and, but there are some countries in the OECD, not really in Europe, which are building up still their pension system. Right? So that's not really the case. So, yeah, uh, but among these countries, uh, the, the, so most countries, there is this decline, a bit bigger than this 10%. And the situation today, also big heterogeneity, is the relative income of the, say, older than 65 compared to the total population, is today, the disposable income is 12% lower for the, those that are 65 plus. They might have less needs, so, but the in average income is 12% lower, again, with a huge heterogeneity, because you have countries uh, like France, for example, where 65 plus have a higher disposable income on average than, than total. In the UK, uh, it's uh, roughly the same. Yes, so. exactly. So if you take 12% today, uh, it's difficult to say what, what will be the big normative number. Right. But on average, this will mean moving from 12%, maybe to 
20% lower. So yes, there is, there is a, a problem. I, the answer to this, of course, would be that people should work longer to compensate. But it's very easy to say. It's uh, more difficult in practice to get uh, acceptance of this. Yes, hard indeed. Thank you both very much for this uh, stimulating uh, discussion. I think it's now time for us to eat dinner. So uh, let's, let's call it a day there. Thank you for listening to the CEA podcast. If you have any feedback for us or want to leave suggestions for a future episode, then you can find us on Twitter at CER underscore EU.